Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Wow, what a powerful uh, time we've had in worship this morning. And uh, again, welcome to Connections Church. For those of you who may be tuned into the broadcast later, got kicked off and had to come back on and missed our welcome time earlier. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad to have the ability and the technology to be able to come into your living room. And uh, thank you for the privilege to be able to come directly into your home. We know that that's something that's kind of been forced on us, but it's also a privilege to be able to do that. So welcome. Welcome to Connections Church. If you've never joined us before online or never attended one of our church services on campus, you are our special guest this morning. Thank you for being a part of that. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to get those out, whether that's electronic or uh, leatherback, as I say, uh, I've got mine here this morning. And I want you to turn to the book of Judges, um, chapter 6, and just keep your finger there. Uh, we're going to be referencing that amongst other verses this morning in the next few minutes. But I've got a question for you to start out this morning. Why do we resist God? Why do we resist God. Have you ever thought about that before? Maybe uh, you're a personality similar to what mine is, and um, you, you don't particularly like authority. You don't like people telling you what to do. You don't like instructions coming down from overhead. Maybe at your place of employment or your job, or even at school for some of you students who are watching, the teacher says, do this and do that. You've got to do this. You've got to have this report turned in. Whatever the case is, something inside you wants to resist that. Something inside you says, I probably know better than you do, even though you're in authority over me. I mean, after all, we believe that God created everything, right? I mean, that's something that we all would agree on. We believe that the plan that he has for each one of us laid out is, uh, is, is all-knowing and, and uh, is going to eventually lead us to the best possible place. But yet when he gives instruction and asks, we resist sometimes and we don't move. We all know that that end result will be to be ever-present with the Lord. I mean, the goal and where we'll be someday is, is to be present with Him in heaven. But yet, even though He's giving instructions and we're hearing those instructions, something inside of us says, I don't know, I, I, I maybe should take a different road, or maybe He's not talking to me, or maybe that Scripture is not for me. Whatever it is, it's excuses. It's putting off the inevitable when we hear from God and we're honest with ourselves, uh, we make excuses for what he's asking us to do. And, and we hear him say these things out of love. And we, we know that he's our father and he's looking out for our best interest. But we pretend sometimes that we didn't hear him and our selfishness takes over. And even though we're hearing those commands, instead of doing those things, we go a different path. We hear the command that we're to be using our gifts to serve other people, but instead we use those very gifts to serve our own needs. What are we doing? Why are we resisting God? Why do we do the things we do? As Paul said in the New Testament, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And so we find ourselves in that quandary and we have to ask ourselves, what, what is it inside us, our humanness, our human nature, our selfishness, that lashes out against the very plan of God? Why do we resist? I want you to know this morning that 
You and I are not alone in that. Adam and Eve were in the very presence of their creator, in the very presence of God himself, a place that I would long to be, I would love to be. And yet, even in the midst of their presence of God, and even in the midst of paradise, they resisted what God wanted, and they did what they wanted to do, and they committed that original sin. As a matter of fact, as you read through the Old Testament, we see the Israelites, God's chosen people, those that he laid it all on the line for, resist God over and over again. Well, they were under the direct protection and safety and security of God himself. And what did they do? They walked right out of his protection. They walked right out of his care and did what they decided would be best for them to do. That doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense that the created would tell the creator, hey, I've got this. Maybe in this case, God, I don't need you to intervene. Maybe in this case, I know better than what you know, and so I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to take this one all under my control. Have you ever been there this morning? Because I know I have. Maybe not consciously in some senses, but subconsciously, I've made decisions knowing that this was not God's plan. This is not the direction God was calling me or urging me. But yet I decided on my own that this was the better plan out of selfishness. As we look at Judges chapter 6 this week, I want you to hear what is going on with the Israelites. It says in chapter 6 verse 1 that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, I want you to understand that the Midianites were an enemy of the people of Israel. The Midianites were not following God. They were following other gods. And since they were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, what were they doing? Why was it evil? Well, they were doing things that were resisting God's plan. The things that God had laid out for them, the things that he had said, this is what I need you to do, the people resisted. Continues in verse 2 and says, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. The oppression of the Midianites in this case that God allowed after these people had committed evil in the eyes of the Lord was so oppressive, their enemy had come in and it was so oppressive that the Israelites had left their homes and they were living in caves and clefts in the mountain. Clefts and caves in the mountain, people, were not where you would want to raise your family. This was a place where you would want to keep your sheep. But that's where they had retreated to because of the oppression of their enemy. They resisted God. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, verse 3 says. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. The enemy, the enemy of the people that God had allowed into their lives because of their resistance to his plan, because they were disobedient to the very things that he was asking them to do and laid out for them to do, 
The enemy was coming in and destroying everything. Something really stands out to me in that verse, and that's that he he, uh, gives us this information that they came in like locusts. That doesn't literally mean there were locusts there. It means that there were so many Midianites, so many Amalekites, the enemies of the people, they were coming in on camels like locusts, and they were swarming the very work that the Israelites had put their hands to They were now watching from the clefts of the rock and from the caves there in the rock, and they were watching their enemy come in and destroy that work and eat the very food and the very crops that they had thought, this is what we'll feed our families with, but in fact, no. Their enemy was destroying everything, and it was because Israel resisted what God had for them. Verse 6 says, Midian was so impoverished, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out, to the Lord for help. And we see this pattern continue in the Old Testament that the, uh, the Israelites would, would follow God and cry out to God and God would send help and God would send judges and God would send kings eventually and tell the people what they were doing wrong. But eventually they would turn. Verse 7 says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of of Egypt and the land of slavery. Now I want to pause there for a minute because I want you to feel what the people in Israel felt. What they were looking for was an answer to their problems. They were in a moment of distress and what they would have liked to have heard God say when they cried out to him for help was, okay, here's your food back, here's a job, here's to meet your needs, exactly. But you'll notice in the text here, the answer that came through the prophet didn't even mention Midian. What it did mention was truth. God sends a prophet to the people of Israel in the midst of the caves, in the midst of the clefts that they were hiding in, in the midst of their problems, in the midst of discouragement and anxiety and stress and fear, He sends a prophet who says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And then he reminds them, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And there it is, folks. There's the reason. There's the resistance. The people who God chose, the people who God delivered, the people who God brought out from slavery in Egypt and blessed as a people were following other gods. The gods of the the people in the lands that they had been given as they went through, they saw other gods and other idols, and they said to themselves, like many of us have, Maybe that's the God I should be following. Maybe that's what I should give my time to, my money to, my talent, my treasures to. Maybe I know better than God. And so God lays it out through this prophet and says, because of your resistance is the reason that I have allowed you to be under this oppression. They weren't being obedient. They decided that they could do this on their own even better than listening to God. Here's another example from the Old Testament. Maybe you remember as you're sitting there in your living room, a guy by the name of Jonah. Jonah was told in the first chapter of Jonah that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God had heard and seen 
the wickedness of the people of Nineveh. And he decided and he chose Jonah to go and tell them that their sins were going to cost them and that they should turn from their ways. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He, was, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He wasn't obedient. He resisted what God had laid out for him. If you remember the rest of the story, Jonah is thrown overboard on that same ship to save the others who were on board. And then he's subsequently swallowed by a great fish. He spends three days in the belly of that fish and is then committed onto the beach in a try-again type moment. Why? Why does Jonah have to go through all of that? Why that turmoil? Why this thing in his life? Because instead of saying, yes, you know best the path for me, Lord. If it's Nineveh you want me to go to, then Nineveh I will go. Instead of that, Jonah resisted and decided that he knew better than God what the people of Nineveh needed. He resisted. Those are just some examples from Scripture of people who resisted and, and God in their, in their lives and, and what they had to go through. And I'm sure that if I came and sat in your living room or your kitchen or your car, wherever you are right now, and, and we said, tell us how you've resisted. Tell us an example of how God has given you something in your life and you've resisted and not done it. I'm sure that you would have examples like I would of a time when you were younger, a time when this happened, a time when you felt the call on your life to, to move and to go and to reach out and you resisted and you didn't do it. We've all made the choice to resist God at times. You're not alone. We have all said, either in word or deed, God, no thanks, I've got this. I'm going to handle this one on my own. Why? Why do we resist God like I said earlier, it doesn't make any sense logically for the created to tell the creator, I've got this one, I can handle it. Let me throw a couple of possibilities at you very quickly. Number one, we resist because we believe it's too difficult to follow God. We may resist at times because we believe it's too difficult to follow God. We've had this word preached to us. We grew up in church perhaps hearing it. Or we've heard a neighbor or someone in our family who lives the Christian life tell us this is what God expects. And what we think inside ourselves is there's no way I can live up to that. It's too difficult. I can't do it. It's too hard. And we've been taught a lie by the world. Yes, Christians, I'm talking to you. We have succumbed to a lie that the world has taught us. And that lie is simply this. That comfort comes from sin and guilt comes from God. And the exact opposite is true. Comfort comes from God and guilt comes from sin. Let me say that again. Comfort comes from God and guilt comes from sin. You see... When saved people commit sin and the result of that sin is not, in fact, comfort as the world would show us and have us to believe. The result of that sin in our lives is guilt. It's a guilty feeling. And the more we compound that and the longer we stay involved in habitual sin, the more guilt comes on us that we start to feel. And so I'm here today to tell you, God did not come to lay guilt on you. He came to bring you comfort and to bring you peace. Don't let the idea and the lie that it's too difficult stop you 
and make you resist God. Number two, we resist God perhaps out of ignorance. There's certain times in our lives when we just didn't know or we just didn't realize that God was trying to say something or do something in our lives. It's out of ignorance sometimes that we resist. We turn away and we deny the voice that we hear. We think, I don't know what that voice is. I, I'm not sure who's talking to me right now. The old adage of, I got the, an angel on this shoulder and the devil on this shoulder, and they're both talking, and I, I can't differentiate between the two. So sometimes, out of just plain ignorance, we resist. It's that ignorance that contributes to our resistance. The logical approach is that God created the world and the universe and everything in it. And it makes sense for you and for I to submit to his authority and to surrender our lives to him. Number three, and this is huge, we resist because of our idols. Our idols in our lives are things that we've allowed to be God substitutes. They're mechanisms by which we try to forge a life without God. You can call them tendencies, you can call them habits, you can call them addictions or some other type of disorder. But the same basic thread runs through all of them. They're idols. And we've built those things out of selfishness. They promise instant relief from pain. And they give us some measure of control that we at least think that we have. The idea of letting our idols go and trusting God brings us stress and anxiety. And so we resist and we want to hang on to the, to the idols that we've created because those idols make us feel comfortable. We created them. We have control to some extent over them. And so it's our idols that can cause us to resist God. You remember just moments ago in Judges chapter 6, it was idols that the children of Israel were worshiping instead of God. And so their resistance to the creator, their resistance to the one who loved them dearly was to worship other idols because they felt some measure of control. Number four, we resist God because of fear. Walking with God is not a formula or an agenda item that we can predict. And a lot of us don't like that. Our human nature wants to be able to predict what's going to happen. I've seen over and over again on the news this week, businesses and, and commercial airlines and cruise ships and, and other industries that are saying, we're going to be back online by this date at this time. We can't predict that any more than, than we can predict the day we will breathe our last breath. So it's out of fear and an inability for us to be able to predict what is going to happen that we resist God. Because intimacy and relationship with God makes this choice. And this choice is choosing to walk into the unknown. Do you remember a guy by the name of Abraham? It says in the Bible that the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go into the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. The Bible says that Abraham left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. They had no idea what God was going to do through them. All they knew is that God was in control and they were willing to submit to that, not out of fear, but out of love for him and say, if you say go, we will go. 
But we're not like Abraham sometimes. Sometimes we say no and we resist because of fear. We don't know where you want us, God. If you would just explain it to me, if you would just tell me what the next step is going to be or where I'm going to be five years from now, I will gladly go. But that's not the way God works. In my own personal life, I know this to be a fact. God's not going to lay out the entire plan for us so that we won't have any fear and anxiety. What he wants us to do is take one step forward when he says move and see that we have faith and that we have confidence in him and that we will follow. So we resist because of fear. Walking with God means choosing to surrender everything and hold back nothing. It's all in or nothing. And we walk head first into these unchartered waters that God has called us to. So sometimes when God summons us to walk with him, we respond with fear. We feel threatened. We might ask these kinds of questions. Uh, where might he ask us to go? I, I don't want to submit my life to him because I'm not sure if he's going to ask me to pack up and move to a foreign land or if he's going to ask me to give everything that I've accumulated. It's these types of questions that cause us to pause and resist what God is calling us to do. Number five, we resist because of disappointment with God. Come on, I know I'm not the only one. We sometimes resist because of past disappointment with God. Whose life has turned out the way, exactly the way that you expected it to? Let me see your hand. Not many of us, if any of us, would be able to raise our hands in that situation and say, yes, I have exactly what I thought. My life has come out exactly the way I thought it would. In fact, if you're living the Christian life, your life was probably turned upside down like mine was, and your path and your goals and your dreams and your ambitions were completely destroyed when you turned over your life to God and let Him lead. Sadness interrupts our dreams Grief strips us of hope. We lament and we wonder, why, God? Our disappointment with life quickly turns into disappointment with God. He could have made things turn out differently. Why didn't he? We can become angry with him and even embittered our hearts, hardened towards God. He seems untrustworthy at times, and so we resist any motion at all in his direction. And ironically, even though we feel like the state of mind that we are in when we're thinking that way disqualifies us from being close to God, the exact opposite couldn't be more true. In those moments, in those valleys, when we feel disqualified to be in his presence, he is most present with us. He is most real to us. The scriptures invite us to bring our disappointment, our anger, our fear to God. Not to run from it, not to stay away from God, not to get those things fixed before we come back to him, but in fact, to kneel at the foot of the almighty cross and say, God, here are my disappointments. Here is my fear. Here is my anger. I'm angry with you. He will meet us there in surprising ways. But we have to let go of the resistance. Number six, we resist because of our inability to receive love. This is so important. Let me say that again. We resist sometimes because of our inability as humans to receive love. The story of so many of our hearts is the story of hoping for love only to have that hope abused, broken, or smashed into pieces. 
We draw back to protect ourselves and encase our hearts in walls of stone. Some of us have gone further and tried to bury our hearts in locked vaults so that they're untouchable, so that this won't happen again, so that we won't be hurt. But the love of God is so different from human love. Do you hear me today? The love of God is so different from any type of human love that you or I have ever experienced. It's filled with unbounded compassion. It's filled with recklessness. It's filled with an unswerving delight that finds itself drawn to us, to you, to the heart that we have inside of us. Yet we resist Because we don't want to be hurt again. We've been hurt by people and so we attribute those same qualities to God and say, well, he's going to hurt me if I open myself up to him, perhaps. This is the deepest resistance of all. Because instead of it being superficial and something that you can easily identify, this is happening deep within. I surrender to God's love. And what that means is that I open myself up to him completely and I trust him completely, 100%. I pour everything out to him. I unlock the vault of my heart. I open my life to him and say, there'll be no darkness. Shine your light in every area. In the end, we come to see that it has been the Father's love. It has been the Father's love the whole time, that has been calling us out of the darkness and calling us out of resistance. It is his love that will heal us and give us encouragement and cause us to be able to trust. So how can I stop resisting God? What do I do, pastor? What what is it that's going to help me in this sermon this morning? I I identified with one of those things or more of those things that you laid out, and I understand that I've been resistant to God. How do I help myself? What do I do? What is the next step? I want to lay this out for you. And interestingly enough, when I put these things on paper, it came out as ASAP, and that is exactly when we need to start moving down this path of non-resistance as soon as possible. So follow along with me, if you will. The A in ASAP stands for ask. Ask. I tell people this all the time when I get an opportunity to teach or, or to speak. I say, ask God. Some people are just hesitant to open their mouths in prayer. And that's what asking is. It's praying It's talking. It's not all up here in your mind and you're thinking secret thoughts and you're like, yeah, I just keep those. No, this is a time in your life and a moment when you shut the door to your secret room or your bedroom and you open your mouth and audibly you hear yourself say, God, I need help. I'm asking. That's what prayer is. And sometimes we act as Christians even like we're afraid to ask. Oh, I don't know if I can ask God. That might be irreverent. Our God is telling you this morning through this camera lens on that screen, ask me. Let me ask you this. What would be wrong with asking? Are you willing to put that to the test? Do you think God would smite you if you opened your mouth and said, I need help. I'm asking you for help. I know for a fact he will not. So our prayer in this area today, in this ask area, needs to be, God, help me not to resist you. 
We don't have the power to surrender at the level that we need to within ourselves. Let me say that again. We don't have the power within ourselves because of our humanness and because of our human nature and because of our selfish desires to surrender to God at the level that is required. We need his help. And so we cry out to the Lord like Israel did in this passage in Judges that we read through. And we say, Lord, help us. That's step number one. S in ASAP. The S is seek. We have to seek him. We read our Bibles. Why do we read our Bibles? Because we're seeking him. This is the method that God laid out in front of us. This is why we have his word. So that we can dive into it. So that we can seek him. We have to read it and then repeat. It's that simple. Read and repeat. We have to be reading this book. You say, well, I just listen to sermons and I just listen to what other people say and I I might read some commentary or a Christian magazine. Great! Those are supplemental, but nothing can replace the fact that you would open up the text of this book and that you would look into it and that you would pray and say, God, reveal this to me and that you would seek Him. Seek God. Seek understanding. Seek knowledge from Him. We have to read it. We have to be seeking him. That's the key ingredient. He wants us to come after him. The second A in ASAP is allow. Allow. Many of us have an issue with this because of our personalities or because of something inside of us for one of those reasons that we went over earlier. But we have resisted for so long that resistance comes second nature to us. In order for that to change... We, you, need to allow God to be God in your life. You see, you hold the key to allowing God to lead. You hold the key. You have the secret recipe ingredient to allow God to be God and to allow him to lead you. And that is, you unlock the door. You say to him, God, I allow you to lead me today. In this moment, while the world is spiraling and spinning out of control, God, I'm going to allow you to lead me. And the P in ASAP, ask, seek, allow. The P is pursue. And I love the New Testament writings of Paul in the book of Galatians and other places where he says to pursue God with zeal. I see Paul getting fired up when he talks like that. I I see him not sitting quietly in a corner somewhere and saying, oh God, I wish you could. But I, I see Paul standing up with zeal and with vigor and with energy saying, oh God, I want to pursue you. I need a change in my life. For those of us who are blessed enough to be married, we understand this concept because when we were dating, we pursued our spouses. We pursued them hotly. We pursued them with vigor. We made every effort to be with them. We drove 10 miles to be where they were. We went the extra mile when we didn't have to because we wanted to be in their presence. We pursued relationship with them. This is the same thing. This is the same principle. When was the last time you pursued God? When is the last time you went after him? When is the last time with a heart on fire and vigor inside of you 
you moved in his direction and expected he would move back in yours. I'm going to pray for all of us in just a moment. Some of you are stuck resisting God. And you're not allowing God to be the king and the Lord of your life. I want that to change today. You see, it doesn't matter that we can't gather in a room all together physically. We're together as the body of Christ. And some of you are struggling. Some of you are stuck. You've resisted God for so long, you can't find your way out of the muck and the mire. I want that to change for you today, my friend. Maybe you've been resisting God completely. Let me be clear with you today. If you've never made the Lord Jesus Lord of your life, the Bible says you must be born again. There is no other way to find peace, to find joy in the midst of the world that we live in. There is no other way. The government is not going to bring you peace, my brother or my sister. You must be born again. There will be a day and there will be a time when the things that are around us will cease to exist. I believe that because I've read it in this book and I understand that to be the future that is at stake for every soul in the world. If you haven't completely turned your life over to Christ at some point in your life, you must be born again. What does that mean? It means that you must surrender and not resist the calling of God in your life to be your personal Savior. And you must give it all over to Him. You must release to Him everything that you are. Maybe you're listening today and you're a believer And so you have a belief in God. You understand with your mind who he is, but you have no relationship with God. Do you understand, again, going back to the the book of Judges, chapter 6, where we were, the people had willingly resisted a daily relationship and walk with God. They resisted that. They put that to the side. They knew it in their heads, but they weren't living it with their lives. Maybe that's you today. And you have a belief of who God is, but you have no relationship with him. Friend, you don't have a belief problem. You have a trust issue with God. And I want that to break today. Maybe you have a belief in God and a relationship with Jesus, but you resist the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in your life, you feel that, you feel the compulsion, and you thought to yourself at times, is this your Holy Spirit, God, that's calling on me? But because of fear or anxiety or whatever the reasoning would be, you've resisted the Holy Spirit and you haven't let him do the job that he was sent to do, and that is to lead you and I. Friends, you need the Holy Spirit to be your comfort, to be your peace, and to be your guide. As we close this time up together today, we need to stop trying to solve our problems by trying to solve our problems. Let me say that again. We need to stop trying to solve our problems by trying 
to solve our problems. You see, the prescription and the recipe that God has laid out for you and for me is not to seek ye first the problem solution. He said, seek ye first what? The kingdom of heaven. And all these things will be added unto you. What do you think the all these things are? They're the solutions to the problems that we're trying to solve. You say, well, I have an economic situation in my household and this whole coronavirus thing has caused a financial stress on my life. Don't try to solve your financial stress this morning. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and let him add all these things unto you. You say, well, there's a health crisis going on in my life. There's something going on in my family. I'm stressed and I'm worried about this health issue, this physical need. I need to solve that, pastor. We've got to find a doctor. We've got to find a solution. I'm here to tell you this morning, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And all these things, including physical healing, will be added unto you. Oh, I know if you were here in the room with me this morning, I'd hear an amen somewhere along the way. You say, I got a relationship issue with some family and friends and some things just aren't right. I need to find a solution to this. You don't need a solution to that. You need to seek first the kingdom of heaven and let that solution be one of the things that God blesses you with and sends your way because all these things will be added unto you. What you really need to do this morning is stop resisting the relationship that God has been desiring to have with you. You see, God has, since the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve in paradise, the only thing that he's ever wanted from them and from us was relationship. You go back and you read in Genesis how they walked in the cool of the day and God walked with them and they had relationship. A beautiful picture of what God wanted it to look like. And we, in our resistance, have destroyed what God intended and we've taken it upon ourselves to do it our way. Let God lead you into a relationship that he has been desiring all along to have with you. The Bible says, again, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Your answer today, friend, Your answer, brother and sister, is not a solution to your problem. Your answer is a non-resistance and a seeking of who God is. I'm going to ask you to do something that you may not even feel comfortable with, but wherever you are, in your home, in your kitchen, not driving, that would be a, a, throw that one out if you're driving, but I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand with me this morning. Because in these final moments that as a church body and as the church of Jesus Christ he has called us to do just that and to take a stand for the gospel and as we pray and end our time together I want you while you're standing there maybe with your family to take your children and your spouse hand and hold their hand you say well all this social distancing, they're telling us not to do that. You're in your home. You take the hand. You can disinfect and sanitize your hands later. I want you to feel that physical contact with your loved ones this morning as we come together as the church and we pray. Because I believe and I know that through all of this, 
God is moving. There's a testimony of a, a person that came to this campus on Friday night this week. They never even entered the building. They were in the parking lot and they had their lives changed and someone led them to the throne room of God and to the foot of the cross and they gave their heart to God. Now you tell me, is God still moving or is God not moving? I'm telling you brothers and sisters, he's moving. So as you're standing there, with the hands of your loved ones, believing like I am this morning, that God has everything under control. Maybe you are the person that's been resisting a personal relationship with God. I'm gonna pray for you today, and I'm gonna give you some words, but it doesn't matter what words you say, as long as you express from your heart this, this amble of desire, God, I don't wanna resist you anymore. Maybe you're a believer but, but, and you have a belief of God, but your relationship with God has been struggling and you've been resisting that. I'm going to pray for you because you need a relationship with God, not just a belief in who God is. Maybe you have a belief in God and a relationship with God and you've got those things nailed down, but you have been resisting the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm going to pray for you today because you need the Holy Spirit you need his peace, you need his comfort, you need his guidance more than you know. And so as we're standing here, let's pray. Oh Jesus, in this moment of time that we understand linearly because of our calendars and our clocks, we know that you are still on the throne. We know, God, that in this moment you've ordained these people who are, who are watching this video to be standing or sitting where they are and to hear the message one more time, you must be born again. And so, God, I pray specifically for those who don't have a relationship with you, who have been resisting your call on their life. They've never made you Lord and Savior. I'm praying for them today, God, that you would call them again, that you would move on them right now in this moment, that they would feel something inside of them that says, what is this? I don't understand it, but that they would stop resisting and that they would simply say, God, I need you. I need you to help me stop resisting the call that you're calling me to have, the, the relationship that you're calling me to have. And so they help them to pray, God. They don't know how to pray. They, they don't know the words to say. So, so help these words to come out of them right now. Jesus, I need you. I've messed this thing up. I don't know how to do this anymore. But I've heard that you are the son of the most high God, that you are my savior, that you died for me. And so as I profess that, I now confess to you the things that I've done that have clearly messed up my life because I feel the guilt and the shame of them. And I release those things to you. I don't resist you anymore. I want to make you Lord of my life. And God, for that person that may be a believer and they have a head knowledge of you and they read their Bible and they try to comprehend it, but they've never had a relationship with you. Oh God, as they stand there today with their hearts wide open, 
God, I pray that they're about to burst at the seams like I am. And I pray that they, these words would come out of their mouth. Oh God, I, I stop resisting the relationship that you desire to have with me. And with the reckless abandonment of love that you're pouring and have poured through all of the days of my life, I now reciprocate that and I give myself to you. I want to have a relationship with you today. Oh God, make it not be just a head knowledge that will be so surface level when times get hard, but let me have a relationship that I can pull on in the rough times, in the valleys of my life. I stop resisting you today. And maybe you have a belief in God and you have, 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 have walked with him for some time, but you've never surrendered to the Holy Spirit on, in your life. You have a belief and a relationship with God, but you have resisted the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm praying for you right now that these words would find a way out of your soul and up through your throat and out of your mouth. Holy Spirit, I stop resisting you right now. Lead me. Guide me. Help me. Comfort me. Bring me peace. And Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today that you are just as powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, and omnipotent today as you have ever been. And you are proving yourself, your love, your grace, and your mercy to us even now. Even today, God, even under these lights and through these camera lenses, you are moving in your church and in your people. We thank you today, God, for the thousands and thousands of people who have said, I said yes to Jesus over the last couple of weeks online. And Lord, we expect that that number climbs astronomically as people surrender their lives to you and as people seek relationship with you and as we come out of the state of being stuck and stop resisting you, our God, our first love, our Redeemer, and our Savior. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.